Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How do you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. With working from home and trying to stay in touch with friends and family, a million pressing social issues, and an expectation to always be on 24-7. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit reset. That's when you reach for Coors Light. It's made to chill. My moment to chill is watching baseball, especially when the White Sox are on. I like to have a Coors Light beside me. It's a great beer to have watching the games as it's cool and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. And even the mountains on my cans turn blue telling me that it's time to hit reset. Sit back, relax, and hunker down for an evening of White Sox baseball. So when it's time for you to unwind, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light and the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Must be 21 years or older to enjoy. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And as always, celebrate responsibly. When you rely on the internet for everything, you need speed that can handle anything. And now, Xfinity delivers Wi-Fi speed faster than a gig. Check out our amazing offers on internet and learn about the latest breakthrough from Xfinity. Wi-Fi speed faster than a gig. That's more than enough speed to power all your devices and then some. Go online, call 1-800-XFINITY or visit a store today to learn more. Restrictions apply. Gig Wi-Fi requires gig speed and compatible x gateway. Actual speeds vary and not guaranteed. From your favorite source for Chicago White Sox talk, delivering news, interviews, analysis, and more. This is the Sox Machine Podcast with your hosts, Jim Margulis and Josh Nelson. Thanks, Rob, and welcome to the Sox Machine Podcast. Presented by SeatGeek, the best place to buy tickets. Download the SeatGeek app and save $20 off your first purchase using promo code SOXMACHINE. I'm your host, Josh Nelson. It's the week of September 10th. 2018 and wow what a weekend for the White Sox they get swept by the Angels at home ending a 10 game homestand going three and seven and now head on the road for 11 days playing nine games against the Royals Orioles and Indians but we'll start this week's show with the crushing news of Michael Kopech's UCL injury Our guest this week reports on all sports news in Chicago on 780 AM WBBM and frequently visits the White Sox clubhouse. Join us to get some insight on the clubhouse mood, and I'm sure the mood has changed. And his thoughts on the current White Sox season is Rick Gregg. And hello, Rick. Thanks for joining the show. Hey, it's a pleasure to be here. My bosses would like me to remind you that we're also on 105.9 FM and the radio.com app. I can do this for a while, but yes, I would imagine the clubhouse (laughs) moves has shifted a little bit in the last however long it's been here. Yes. uh, As we are recording this kind of the back scenes of doing this podcast, it's been what Rick seven minutes since the news broke that Michael Kopech will be missing the 2019 season as the news just broke that Kopech will need Tommy John surgery due to a significant tear in his pitching elbows UCL. Kopech will miss the entire 2019 season, and it's going to be a great unknown, Rick, on what type of pitcher Kopech will be in 2020 and moving forward. You covered Kopech's last start. Any hint that something was bothering him physically? Well, no. Uh, other than your eyes, right? He didn't look right. And he said afterward, he didn't have his stuff. Uh, Not all of it, at least. Now, if I didn't have my stuff, if it turned out I had a torn ligament and I could still throw 93, that'd be a different story with my life. But he just said he didn't feel right at the beginning of the game. He also said he didn't prepare properly, which was a very interesting comment to me that unfortunately we didn't get a chance to follow up on figuring, Hey, we could follow up this weekend. And now it turns out, no, we can't do that. Um, He said after the game, he didn't feel 
a tired arm or anything like that. Uh, he didn't go in. I don't believe I'd have to go back and check the tape into any kind of tightness, although we're now learning from Rick Hahn that he reported tightness a little bit before the Tigers game and then contacted the Sox yesterday uh, on the off day uh, to, to, to tell them more. So, no, specifically he didn't say, gee, my arm's really hurting, but it was obvious he didn't look right, especially, I mean, in that fourth inning against the Tigers. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see on how everyone approaches Rick Hahn and Rick Renteria and, of course, Herm Schneider, because obviously Michael Kopech, he's he's your top pitching prospect. He's one of the top pitching prospects in all of Major League Baseball. So if he's reporting any tightness whatsoever, uh, wouldn't that been the, you know, the red flag to say, you know what, you're not pitching against Detroit. We have a bullpen day now. Uh, but obviously you want to see him start and it'll be interesting to see how the White Sox, as far as Rick Hahn and Rick Retteria, answer those questions. Uh, so the very little that you got a chance to talk to him, I guess let's focus on Kopech for a moment. Uh, what do you think this does for him and as far as his uh, development path moving forward with the White Sox? If you're a pitcher and you're going to have a major injury, Tommy John surgery is the one to have. It's hard to swallow. It's hard to admit, but it's true. At this point, Tommy John surgery is decades old. We know what all the markers are. It's going to be a year. He's going to have a second opinion. He's going to have a surgery in a couple of days. It's going to be a year to 15 to 18 months, somewhere in there. But you know what to expect with Tommy John surgery. My question is going to be for for, uh, Kopech is a mental question. This is something he's never dealt with before, a major injury like this. He's had a good health record. That's never been the issue with Kopech. So is he going to be able to mentally handle the fact that he's not going to pitch for a year? I think he is. He's a confident guy, extremely confident guy, bordering on the edge of cocky in the uh, interactions I've had with him, which admittedly are not many, and I'm not trying to run him down. I'm just saying that he is very sure of who he is. I mean, if you saw the ESPN E60 piece where he talks about, I'm going to be a Hall of Fame pitcher. I mean, that was the quote. That was the money quote. He's got to stay healthy to do that, of course. But he's, so he should have the, the brain uh, capacity to deal with the setback and the loss. But we haven't seen it in action. We just don't know. And so we're going to have to wait at this point. And that's all we can do, and that's all he can do. He seems dejected uh, in the wake of the news. Anybody would be dejected in the wake of the news. The question is how he responds. Yeah, so I, that's from Kopech's point of view. Now the White Sox point of view. What does Rick Hahn do from here, and how does this greatly impact the White Sox offseason plans for 2019? Well, I don't know the answer. If, I don't know how greatly he will let it impact. They need another starter, whether that means doing something like asking James Shields to come back, exercising the option there. I don't know um, if it means going out and getting somebody from the bar, uh, out of the bargain bin for just one year. That's possible. Um, you can never have enough pitching. I think Han said that 70,000 times. So it's possible they'll try and go out and get somebody with two or three years of experience they can bring in. But at this point, you just kind of have to wait. If you expected the White Sox to make a playoff push next year, if you expected them to go to the playoffs next year, next year was your target date, then, yeah, you'd go out and get somebody immediately. Han has always said 2019 and 2020. So while this is not at all ideal, I think he's still in the window. If it were me, I'd get somebody else. But if it were me, Eloy would be up too. So who knows? Do you think 2019 is a complete loss for the White Sox already here in September of 2018? Well, let's see. You're still going to roll out uh, Rodon uh, and Giolito and Lopez, right? And maybe uh, you assume you're going to see Cease sometime next year. Who's your fifth starter going to be? It would have been Kopech. Uh, Now it's not going to be Kopech. Can they make a run? Sure, I think they can make a run. They've been playing much better baseball recently, of course. I mean, if you take away that terrible April and May, all of a sudden this looks like a, a decent a decent enough team. Not a great team, but a decent enough team. I don't think you blow it up because one guy blew out his arm. I just don't. And so I think that Rick is kind of committed to this position that he's in. You're going to keep Rodon. You're not going to trade him, even though you have to face a long contract or expensive contract in the future if you can get him back. Um, I, I I'd, I wouldn't blow it up. It's just a matter of how, how they can add. Han seems like a guy who has his giant plan, and now he's going to have to make another change. The other thing on top of this, though, is it's not just Kopech who's got hurt this year. It's been a brutal prospect year for the White Sox as far as injuries go. All started way back in spring training with, uh, with Berger and with uh, 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 Mike Adolfo, uh, people getting hurt all over the place. So they've had to adjust their timelines a little bit. It just really takes a hit, and it takes a hit in the fan interest, too, because Kopech was the guy everybody was going to come out and see for the next 
uh, the rest of this year and the beginning part of next year until the White Sox proved they were something. And now you can't see them. Yeah, good luck to the White Sox sales department and trying to sell 2019 <laughs> season ticket plans. All right, I want to talk about something a little bit more positive because we'll talk more about Kopech later in the show and how it impacts the White Sox rebuild moving forward. But one of my favorite stories this year was one that you did about Tim Anderson and his glove. And every baseball player at any level, Rick, I mean, the glove is a very cherished item. I still have my baseball glove that I played uh, high school baseball with. I mean, it collects dust, and I haven't used it in a few years. Uh, But it means a lot to me. What's the backstory of Tim Anderson's glove? Well, Tim, you know, Major League Baseball players get a new glove. In his case, uh, he gets a new one every year. Uh, And he breaks it in. He said he he breaks it in himself. He doesn't hand it to the clubbies. He doesn't. He just does it by fielding grounders over and over and over again. Um, But on his uh, on his glove, uh, he wrote the name of his daughter, his young. I believe she's two, might be three now. I'm not sure when the birthday is there, but he he put the name of his daughter on there. uh, And he says it's like we're playing catch every day, which is kind of a fun uh, thing for Tim. You know, Tim Anderson's a guy who, um, if you get him talking about something he wants to talk about, he's really a fun guy to talk to. He, he has a little bit of the, when you want to talk just about the general day-to-day stuff, he's one of those guys who will give you a couple of sentence answers and kind of move on, and that's wrong. They're not wrong. It's, it's perfectly fine. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, but when you get him engaged, he's happy to talk about it. This is one of those things that he was really happy to talk about, and I'm glad I uh, brought up the topic with him. For Tim Anderson and that glove, it has gotten a lot better in the last couple of months, visibly. He has made some terrific plays, Rick, and it seems like he is consistently making all the plays uh, that he should be making. I haven't looked too much in the defensive metrics. We'll have to look at that after the season to see how he progressed from April to September. But do you think that Tim Anderson... Uh, there, there was a lot of people before the year that were suggesting that Anderson long-term was going to be the White Sox center fielder, moving him from short to the outfield just because of his struggles defensively. Do you think he's done enough to silence those critics and prove that he can stick at shortstop in the long-term for the White Sox? I think that they think he has. Um, I don't know if he has or not, but this is the plan, and Rickon's going to stick to that plan. That I'm pretty sure of. Look, he's... Uh, uh, number two in the American League in assists this year. Uh, last year, his errors were through the roof. He had 28 of them last year. I don't know where he is this year. What's the, what's the number? He's at uh, 15. He's cut that error rate nearly in half uh, this season. So, yes, I know that error rate is not everything. You can, you know, we have range factor. We have all kinds of defensive measures. But as a quick and dirty way to do it, he's improved his defense to that point. Um, I think that they're going to leave him at shortstop. They put the money down on Tim Anderson with a long-term deal. They were able to sign him to a fairly team-friendly deal a couple years back, and they have – this is their guy that they want at shortstop. Do I think they're right? I don't know. I'm more concerned about the fact that he's just not a plus hitter. Um, You're getting – the theory is if you get – I think the theory is that if you get average hitting from Tim Anderson, then the glove will carry him the rest of the way. And Tim Anderson has shown at times better than average hitting this year. I mean, we were talking about all the power he showed early in the season, and that seems to have tapered off. We didn't expect it anyway. The question is, can he be more consistent at the plate and in the field, but mainly in the plate? That's what I want to see more out of uh, Tim Anderson is, is more consistent approach uh, at the plate. And I think that the glove can carry him, even if he's not a gold glover going forward. I think he's a shortstop for the foreseeable future for the Sox. Yeah, the Tim Anderson may be the second best shortstop in the American League Central, but unfortunately Francisco Lindor is in this division, (laughs) and Lindor definitely sets the bar when it comes to quality of shortstops in Major League Baseball. Uh, You mentioned it a little bit earlier on how much better the White Sox have been playing. Since August 1st, as we record this, the White Sox are 19-15, and and again, they've been playing a lot better baseball as of late. What's been the clubhouse vibe when you visited, uh, Rick? Do you get a sense of hope from the players themselves that maybe this unit is turning things around and this type of winning can stick um i yes if they've won and before games no if they've lost that's pretty typical of any major league clubhouse right what i know uh what i or at least what i've sensed i guess is a better way to put it when i have been in there is that they are um they this year's group compared to say last year's group uh or the year before it doesn't seem to be as divided and they seem to be uh, 
I don't know how I want to put this. I don't want to say there's a ton of hope, but I don't think there's any despair. Does that make sense? Like, I don't think we're going, hey, yes. this, we're going all the way this year or anything like that, or that this is the team that's going to make it to 2020, because there are a lot of guys who don't know that they're going to be on this team in 2020. But there's not a lot of, well, we're stuck at playing at the end of this string or the end of this season. I think that's something that's very valuable for the White Sox. These guys not only want to be major leaguers, but they seem to want to be back and see some sort of future moving forward. That's a general opinion. You know, there's at this point, 30 guys in that locker room. We don't see them every day. Even if I was there every day, I wouldn't see them every day because there's the public locker room and the private locker room, et cetera. Uh, but we see a lot of them and they just seem to be more, they seem to be, uh, They want to be at work, and that's an important thing. And I'm not saying other guys necessarily didn't. I'm not going to call out names or anything like that because I don't have that. But what I see is guys, instead of messing around on their phone, they're going to work. And that's a great thing to see. They're going to hey, check their phone a little bit. Nobody's, you know, that that far uh, detached. But – you, they get in the locker room, they, uh, they're out doing running drills or they're hitting in the cage uh, here and there. They all seem to have goals, either individual or team goals, and, they, and that they want to work on. I guess we give Rick Renteria credit for that, right? Because he's talked time and time again about how he want, when we're good, they're going to need to play through September, so they should play through September now and know what it feels like. And I think that that philosophy is certainly rubbing off a little bit in the locker room. So, like I said, I don't know how much hope there is, like, this is the team that's going to win it all. They certainly liked seeing Kopech come up. There was a, very, a lot of excitement that day. Um, and they like seeing the pieces that are coming up, but there's not there's not necessarily we've got our core, we're ready to go, but there's not this despair either that it's just another season down the drain. You mentioned Renteria, a popular, a popular question. Whenever I do radio hits about Rick Renteria is, is he the guy? Is he going to be the manager when the White Sox are good? What do you think, Rick? Do you think that he's going to be the manager in three years? No, I don't think he'll be the manager in three years. Is he the manager in two years? Yeah. I think they're committed to him through next season. I think they were committed to him before today's news with Kopech as well throughout the season uh, and the year after that. Then the I don't want to say knock on Rick Renteria, but the thing that Rick Renteria is best for, best known for, is player development. Right? He did that in the minor leagues. He was hired, uh, you know, uh, in Chicago to basically do that same thing, and then they developed through enough to the point that the Cubs brought on Joe Madden instead when that came up. I'm not saying that I think that the White Sox are going to specifically look to fire Rick Renteria once they are good. That's not what I'm saying. I think that they're going to come to a point here in two years. At least this is the hope. At the end of the 2020 season, they're going to sit down with their options and say, okay, look, we have a major league playoff. We have a playoff contending team right now. Is Renteria the guy who can push us over the hump? And I don't know that they think he – I don't know that there won't be another option that they want to exercise. Maybe that's a better way to put it. In the meantime, they're happy with Rick Renteria, and he seems to be happy as well uh, with the White Sox, et cetera. So – I think that for now, you should just ride it out status quo. And hey, three years from now, I'm perfectly happy to be wrong. But if you're asking me who I think, I don't know who it'll be. I just don't think it'll be him. But I could be very wrong. With just a few weeks remaining in the season and the three home games against the Chicago Cubs are looming, that could be a big series for the Cubs as they inch closer to clinching another postseason appearance. What are the storylines about the White Sox you're following for the rest of 2018, Rick? Well, I'd like to see how Michael Kopech does down the stretch. Oh, wait. (laughs) Um, uh, I would like to see – I'm kind of paying attention to the corner outfield a little bit um, because obviously a corner outfielder or two are going to lose their jobs this offseason. At least that would be the hope with Eloy coming up. So what are they going to do? Have they decided that that Nick Palka – I'm sorry, that Nick DeMonico has got a future on this roster? Does Daniel Palka have a future on this roster? These other guys that they brought up, do they have futures on this roster? I don't know the answer to that. Um, We will see. Uh, I think Palka certainly does, uh, at least as a backup. So we'll see what that is like. I like watching the relief core, the new relievers come up. That's going to be fun for the next couple of weeks to see who stands out against major league competition, especially since as not necessarily the Cubs series, but as the season winds down, you're going to play a lot of teams that are also, also rans. If a guy gets roughed up against an also ran in the, in the last two weeks of September, you got to kind of question why, and not that anybody's going to be perfect, but if, if he goes out there and just has nothing, you got to answer why you got to question why. So let's see what Hamilton and Burr and Frere and the rest of these guys do, because it looks like, 
if you squint, the Sox have the makings of a great, uh, great bullpen, or at least a serviceable one coming up. They've been very good at that over the last few years, as we know. So perhaps that will be the case uh, this time around. So I'm watching those. Um, other than that, uh, we're going we're gonna to see if Jose Abreu comes back, when Jose Abreu comes back, uh, if he looks normal. But that, you know, his injury is one that will obviously go away with time. If, if he's not, even if there is something lingering that we don't know about as far as that's concerned, it'll be gone by next year. So not necessarily worried about his production, just interested to see what he does in the last couple weeks of the season. That's all. And what, what's the rotation like behind the plate um, with Wellington, with uh, Omar, and with um, – uh, Kevin behind the plate. Only two of those guys are making the roster next year. I, I mean, if you're asking me right now, I think it's going to be Castillo and Narvaez. You know what was interesting, though? Uh, and this is something I don't know if it happens all the time or not because I haven't paid that close attention. But before the Tigers game on uh, Wednesday, uh, I saw Omar with a first baseman's glove. Now, I don't know if that's something they're really thinking of, but it wouldn't hurt to try it out just to see what you can do because we know that Narvaez, while he has improved behind the plate, is not a Brad Ausmus-level defender behind the plate. So if you're thinking, okay, his bat might be for real here, that's been a bit of a surprise this year. If his bat's for real, where else can we use him on the diamond? Let's Maybe he's a backup first baseman to Jose Abreu or something like that. Might as well give it a shot. So I would honestly be interested to see if they do try that. Uh, instead of just using him as a DH, maybe throw him out there once or twice. We'll see. Hmm, that's very interesting. Definitely we'll have to see, especially during spring training where that's a uh, that's a good outlet to test players in new positions. You can listen to Rick on 780 AM WBBM and, as he mentioned before, on the Radio.com app, along with our good friend Rob Hart, where they broadcast Chicago sports updates every 15 and 45 minutes after the hour. And you can follow him on Twitter. He's at Rick Gregg. Rick, I wish the news were better to have you on the show for the first time, uh, but thank you so much for coming on. I'm the harbinger of doom, I guess. You might want to, uh, if, 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 if you invite me back, I'd love to do it again, but do it in the offseason so we can't get a message that somebody has fallen <laughs> off a cliff right before we go on the air. That sounds like a plan. Thank you, Rick. All right, take care. We are going to be continuing the conversation about Michael Kopech and the White Sox, but a quick word from Mack Weldon, one of our sponsors. If you don't know Mack Weldon, they are a quality menswear company that focuses on making shopping easy and convenient for smartly designed essential clothing. We are talking about underwear, socks, polos, undershirts, hoodies, sweatpants, and accessories, everything a guy needs for their wardrobe. What's great about Mack Weldon is that their products are better than what I've been buying. I'll admit it. I'm the guy who buys clothing at a discount online or in the big box stores, knowing the quality isn't great and won't last long. But I could tell the difference once I tried Mack Weldon, and it made me a believer. Everything is comfortable as they make their own fabric, and they have plenty of options for guys like me that are on the bigger side with XL and double XL choices. It looks great feels great and i've got options for going out or just lounging around on the weekends watching baseball plus you can't beat this level of customer service mac weldon wants you to be comfortable so if you don't like your first pair of say underwear or socks that you buy from them you can keep it and they will still refund you no questions asked best part socks machine listeners get 20 percent off your first purchase at mac weldon so go visit MacWeldon.com and enter promo code MACHINE. That's promo code MACHINE for 20% off at MacWeldon.com. We continue the conversation about Michael Kopech's injury and what it means for the White Sox in 2019 and beyond. It's the managing editor of SoxMachine.com and the co-host of the podcast, it's Jim Margulis. And hello, Jim. On Thursday, Sox Machine Live, I said that I hope Kopech isn't hurt because it would break my heart. And three days after the news, I'm less I'm less numb to the reaction news because I was pretty heartbroken on Friday, Jim. Uh, but I can't find a way to spin this positively. How did you take this news? And is there any way to find a silver lining to the top pitching prospect in your in, in the system that's going to be out for all of 2019? No, I mean. When when I saw it, I guess the one, yeah, I guess the one, you know, looking at, at Kopech's previous start, the fact that he had such a stark drop in velocity 
pointed out that something indicated that something was wrong. And, you know, whether it was just a temporary thing, a dead arm type thing, or, you know, a UCL injury, I mean, at least there was some kind of hint that made me at least in the back of my mind prepared for that outcome. So, you know, there's that, or, you know, versus somebody throwing the best start of their career and then, you know, all of a sudden not being able to make the post. So I guess that makes it slightly easier, but by and large, you know, I wrote about this uh, on, on Sunday morning, but there's really no way to spin it as a positive, like maybe say if Dane Dunning or Alec Hansen or like some other notable pitching prospect were ready and they had a rotation spot open you can say, Oh, let's see what this guy can do. But right now as it stands, it's really, you know, you can really only spin it in a way that, uh, you know, you can think of the ways it could suck worse. And that's, you know, say if it was into next year where all of a sudden 2020 is affected, that would be worse than, you know, missing all of 2019 and, you know, shoulder instead of an elbow and, and, and so forth. But otherwise it's, it is, you know, a, a blow and it's difficult to, um, yeah, it was really the storyline of September. I mean, uh, with Moncada and Lopez and Giolito, they're all important, but we saw them last September and we know that September is kind of fleeting when it comes to meaning and everything. And with, uh, you know, with Kopech, he was the September novelty that would kind of make it easier to get through the last few weeks of the season. I don't have any concern about the rehab process for Kopech. And Rick Hahn touched on this during when he made the announcement that Michael Kopech is going to need surgery on his pitching elbow UCL, that based on his workout regimen, nobody should be worried about Michael Kopech hitting the rehab process and being dedicated to the rehab process to be as strong as he was prior to surgery. What really sucks about this is that if you had any hope going into the 2019 season, it just sucks it right out as soon as this this news came out just because looking at the probable 25-man roster, I, I was penciling this in. If the White Sox just went with internal options, Jim... And I, and I looked at what I created on what a possible opening day 2019 25-man roster. And the first thing that came to mind is, my God, that might be a 60-win team. Like, the White Sox are probably going to have a top-five pick in the 2019 draft. And it circles back to our conversation on Sox Machine Live in our last episode on where our patience is on the fuel tank. And we both said, what, a quarter full? And then after 2019, we're going to be an eighth full? Mm-hmm. Well, when you hear this news, it's like this impending doom of a season's coming ahead. And now almost every White Sox fan is looking ahead to 2020. And there's still going to be a lot that could happen in 2019 that's good, right? We we will finally see Eloy Jimenez join the White Sox. We could see where Dylan Cease builds up after this tremendous year. But man, if you're someone that's pessimistic and you see the half, you see the glass half empty, uh, just look at the top prospects, and I think you highlighted this in your column as well on, on Sunday, Jim. Yeah, Dylan C's had a great year, but Alec Hansen did not. We did not get a chance to see the second half of Dane Dunning. Michael Kopech is out for all of 2019. Like, boom, there's three of your top four pitching prospects that have injury concerns. Uh, we obviously talked about Jake Berger in great length at the beginning of this mm-hmm. season with the blown Achilles. Luis Robert, of course, in his final minor league game of the season, he gets hit in the wrist. Uh, so it's just it's just been a terrible year for the White Sox almost on all fronts. And that's where I look at as far as the Kopech news and how it just impacts me personally as far as not only as a fan but covering the team on – we're not even to spring training yet, and there's just not much hope for 2019. Is there any way, instead of just looking at the Kopech news, that we can pull out some hope that even though this is routine surgery, and we are expected to see Kopech in 2020, that for the fans that are looking for hope in 2019, Jim, is there any hope? Well, I think it depends uh, what the White Sox front office does. I know that's kind of a vague, non-helpful answer, but I mean, you know, I guess it's more to the overarching way they approach the offseason. Because I mean, last winter, you know, aside from maybe some people who wanted a, um, you know, get in on Mike Moustakis or Lorenzo Cain when his market took a while to uh, heat up, you know, there there were some, I guess, murmurs or you know, ideas that the White Sox could maybe get in on it. But mostly, everybody was content 
to let the offseason play out, stay out of it, aside from, you know, Wellington Castillo signed. They, they re-signed Miguel Gonzalez to just kind of patch some holes in the depth chart, but they didn't really, you know, they weren't participants. They were, they were bystanders. And everybody was okay with that. But I think, you know, everybody was okay with that because they figured that this would be the last offseason that they would be sitting it out. Uh, 2019, probably not a huge buying offseason, but, you know, if Kopech and Jimenez were there and they stood a chance of hitting the ground running... Yeah, you don't want to be kind of caught flat-footed and, and right. not be in a position to take advantage of, say, a soft division or a, a slowly developing wildcard situation. You just want to be, you know, available to possibilities. But I think now that Kopech is out, you know, like you said, it uh, really puts a <laughs> kind of a dagger in the internal depth chart for 2019. And so, you know, that kind of makes me wonder, you know, is this another offseason where Rick Hahn sits out again? And if that's the case... I mean, it makes sense on one level because you don't want to waste the first year of a free agent signing on a team that's not really going to be competitive unless everybody hits their best case scenario. But it is, I think, going to test the patience and and kind of the business model, I think, of the rebuild in some regards. Just having, you know, another season of, you know, maybe Eloy comes up in, you know, late April, early May, and, you know, that kind of uh, sustains some excitement. But, I mean, another 60-win season uh and, and you know another year of Ricky Renteria kind of you know wearing on people as managers do not just him but managers in general um and you know perhaps you know if Mankata doesn't take another step or just you know they have this kind of lineup where they don't draw walks and have these games where strikeouts pile up and don't look competitive and Abreu's on his way out and Avi's on his way out I could see just being uh either the case where a lot of people just tune out in the rebuild and, and hope that there's an upswing that they don't, you know, necessarily have to see the first stages of, or, uh, you know, whether it compromises in some other way. I just wonder if it's, you know, kind of, you know, Jerry Reinsdorf too, testing his patience. Mm -hmm. Uh, I wonder if, uh, you know, just how it changes, how Rick Hahn will approach. Cause I thought maybe, you know, a couple, you know, one year buys or, you know, trying to get somebody on a soft contract, going after Manny Machado, those are all in play. And now it's kind of resetting where they were last year. And that's going to be tough for a lot of people to take unless they just stop paying attention. Well, we're going to have the Sox Machine offseason plan project, which is mm-hmm. going to be absolutely fun. It gives everyone an opportunity to submit their offseason plans on how they would build the 2019 White Sox squad. But I'm glad you brought up Jerry Reinsdorf, Jim, because I, I'm wondering where his head is at with this news obviously it's a it's a big blow and he's been part of this game for a really long time but i just wonder if he goes over to you know his cigar cabinet and pulls out a cigar and has a conversation with himself in front of a mirror and be like what do i want to do here right because after the 2019 season jerry needs to negotiate a new television deal now it sounds like the chicago blackhawks are going to stick with the White Sox and the Chicago Bulls. Obviously, the White Sox and Bulls are going to be tied together because Jerry Reinsdorf owns both teams. But the Cubs are going to leave. And as far as whatever coverage NBC Sports has uh, on the Bears, maybe they'll still continue with it. But that's a big blow for NBC Sports because the Chicago Cubs, they bring the ratings. And ratings mean television dollars. So after the 2019 season, that needs to be renegotiated for not just the White Sox, of course, but also for the Bulls and Blackhawks. Uh, but the White Sox need to carry some of that water, right? They need to help bring people, uh, as far as attention, bring people to watch the games on TV uh, to merit the ma- amount of money that NBC Sports is going to be paying the White Sox uh, to, bro- to broadcast the games. They need that revenue. And it would be nice that if they had the players and the success uh, to be able to sell ads for these games. So it'd be quite interesting on how the White Sox address that. And it's just a year away. I mean, we've been talking about this for a few years, uh, but it'd be interesting to see how the White Sox do handle this offseason. It'd be very interesting to see what you guys think on how they'll handle the offseason. At this moment in September, I'm still undecided on what I think the White Sox will do or should do. But we did get this question from Twitter from b Roz. And B-Roz is bringing up the point on where the rebuild currently stands now after this news. And what B-Roz said, Jim, is that Kopech news is devastating. But the more concerning issue, why did Han focus his rebuild on trading for and drafting power arms with injury risk and trading for and drafting high upside, low ceiling bats 
that come with major risk. Almost two years into the rebuild, and the results are not great. Jim, the injuries have been extensive to key White Sox prospects. We already talked about that. Is B-Raw's right about the rebuild being focused on power arms and high upside, low ceiling bats? And are the results not where you expected them to be after two years? Well, I mean, do you count Dane Dunning as a power arm? Uh, I wouldn't necessarily. I don't. Yeah, I wouldn't necessarily describe him as that. So, I mean, like, they, you know, it makes sense with high draft picks to draft guys who have stuff to give. Um, you know, it's not like a case where you have, like, a guy like Eric Johnson, not a power arm, you know, decent enough fastball, but he lost a little bit of it and his career went downhill. And so you want guys who have enough stuff to where. If they lose it in the progress, in the process of either developing their style, they absorb an injury. Um, you know, it's not the end of the world. So, uh, you know, I think that's just risk with pitching prospects in general. Um, I would necessarily, yeah, I would say that every pitcher is an injury risk, and so you want to add multiples. And like the Adam Eaton trade allowed them to add multiples of pitching. So I, I don't necessarily fault them there. And I think that the, uh, you know, the acquisition strategy for prospects, like say the Blake Rutherfords and um, yeah, well, Elio Pendez is as safe as it gets, but um, you know, like say, trying, well, like Basabe is another case where yeah. they have high upside. It just, uh, I think that was partially a response to the draft strategy, which is very safe. Um, you know, high floor college players um, who have, you know, a lot, a broad base of skills, but no standout tools. And so they had to draft some upside in order to counter that and not just have a whole bunch of, you know, guys who maybe top out at average. You want to have some star potential there. So I think. You know, perhaps if they drafted a wider variety of players, you know, mixed up a bit more with whether it's, you know, high school bats or, you know, more up the middle athletes, which is kind of a, uh, a, a, a phrase that causes a lot of people some PTSD when it comes to White Sox drafts. But, you know, they got away mm-hmm. from drafting athletes and, and guys with a, um, you know, you know, high athleticism for more polished bats. And then they saw that, you know, that kind of got too concentrated. And so they added you know, the upside from outside and, you know, it's kind of how they had to do it with how they drafted. So I, I don't necessarily see a fault with it, um, you know, on the whole. It's just I think it's, um, you know, Rickon uses the term critical mass, and that's just why it's so important to be patient at this because, you know, if you have, you know, if you try to do it in one off season or two off seasons even, um, and, and or maybe you can do it in two off seasons and without trading anybody away, that's kind of the key part. But, you know, you just have to make sure that you don't just have a one-ply uh, depth chart just because there is so much possibility for things to go wrong and like this offseason proves it so it, it's uh you know it's it's good that they had the start that they had and kind of cemented their high draft pick um status early rather than having tank because uh I, I think they will need one more draft based on the way this season has gone and if 2019 goes on how we think it will go they're gonna have another top five pick in the 2020 major league baseball draft so the white Sox do have an opportunity to add two high-quality young players into their system that can help a future team. Now, the rebuild enthusiast, Jim, will say this is only year two of the process. It took five years for other teams like the Cubs and the Astros to get where they are after the rebuild. Uh, Do the White Sox have five years? No, I mean, like, well, I mean, part of it's they traded you know, who they traded, you know, they traded Eaton, they traded Sale, they traded Quintana, you know, that's the kind of, ta- you know, they had enough talent to contend if the front office, you know, wasn't so horrible free agent acquisitions to where they couldn't even get a winning season with that core. So the fact that they traded all that talent and all those great contracts um, was supposed to take a year or two off the rebuild. Um, so I think, you know, when you talk, when you're thinking about, two years of abysmal play. And I think it's there. And I think by year three, based on the head start they got with the talent they traded, you know, it's not unreasonable to think that year three is a progress year, a moving year, you know, maybe not a winning season, but you know, win total in the seventies, um, you know, would be a reasonable expectation. I think that would be fair. So, you know, I, I think that the, you know, the Cubs started from nothing. The Astros started from nothing. Uh, the Phillies are another team you know, that taken them five years and they finally looks like it might be paying off at least with the wild card appearance. But they spent five years, I think, drafting the top five. So, I mean, there is, uh, you know, those all point to, um, you know, this is within the realm of possibility what the White Sox are dealing with right now. And they still have, you know, a year or two to give before panic sets in. But I think with the with the talent they traded, it wasn't unreasonable to expect that the uh, gestation period for, you know, amassing all these prospects would be a little bit shorter. 
Yeah, I guess the way I, I look at B-Ross's question, and B-Ross, thank you so much for submitting your question, but I, I feel like the approach for the White Sox has been balanced. That it just hasn't been, oh, you're only focusing on pitching and trying to do this rebuild through pitching. Uh, I don't think that's been the case. They've they've spent the first-round picks, Jim, on hitters, and they spent the first two picks uh, this up this last draft on hitters, and we've we'd seen that quite a bit as far as their third and fourth rounders. You know, Nick Hostetler is drafting position players early in the draft. It's just that the pitching is ahead of the hitting, and that typically happens uh, with this as far as the rebuild or building any team. Uh, and that's why we're seeing the pitchers now, and hopefully the position players will be coming up soon. And when they do come up, then it's, yeah, it, it flips the switch. You have to start winning because of the lessons revolving around Michael Kopech. Every pitcher, doesn't matter how hard they throw, is a ticking time bomb that they can, it's just not a natural motion. The human body is not made to throw a baseball the way that we throw a baseball right at anything higher than 90 miles an hour and sometimes it's just a fluke on which guys get hurt and it is unfortunate but when you have pitching in place and you can keep them healthy that's why you gotta go because you never ever know when the injury bug is going to hit you and it is the great equalizer in this sport just look at what's happening in the National League West. The Dodgers are a supremely talented team. More talent on that team than the Colorado Rockies. But injuries have just bit that team in the ass all season long. And they're still competitive, and they probably will still win the division, but it's been a tough road for them. And when mm-hmm. you have everything in place, and when you are healthy, you got to go. You just have to go. And that's where it's going to be interesting for the White Sox moving forward. Carlos Rodon wasn't healthy this year, Jim. It's just when Kopech comes back in 2020, if you got Rodon, you got Kopech, who's healthy and strong. Gilito, if he could remain healthy and strong. Lopez, if he's healthy and strong. Again, Dylan Cease, he could be a ticking time bomb as well. He's already had one Tommy John surgery. Uh, if all these guys are healthy, I think that's what speeds up this process because – Rick Hahn has mentioned it as well, that the baseball gods can be cruel. But if you can have five starting pitchers that have got a lot of talent and, they are, and they're healthy, uh, you got to move. You either got to sign the big free agents, you got to trade guys away to get the all-star potential players, and you got to move. Because if pitchers start falling, uh, you know, getting hurt and going to the disabled list, uh, it could ruin your season. Yeah, and then you mentioned the Rockies too, and they have, I think, pretty much an entirely homegrown rotation, or at least you know acquired, you know, maybe not drafted and developed, but acquired. So, uh, you know, there is the argument for just amassing as many pitchers as possible, and uh, when they all come mm-hmm. together, just add, <laughs> you know, waste no time with it. So, I mean, I think they're kind of, you know, they they do some weird things in their organization when it comes to adding and who they choose to, you know, I guess the areas they try to upgrade with, you know, say Ian Desmond and, you know, letting Daniel Murphy go to the Cubs. They, you know, they've made some weird choices with their position players, but I think when you look at assembling a homegrown rotation um, and just stacking arms to where uh, you can start five of your own guys and not have to upgrade too aggressively from the outside, uh, it, it helps. For all those that are wondering if the target for 2020 moves back a couple of years, I, I don't think so. I think you... You still have the eye on the prize in 2020 that that's going to be the year where the White Sox could be at the very least a winning team. Just because if all five of those guys are healthy, uh, you, you got to move. You, you got to move forward. Yeah. And and uh, when it comes to the you know depth chart and everything, and the, the payroll, they can spend money. Yeah. it's uh, When it comes to 2020, I wouldn't really trade too much from the depth. I wouldn't, you know, I, I wouldn't acquire guys through trade and, and deal multiple prospects when you're still not sure who's going to win out when the depth chart finally settles, but they haven't been, you know, at that point they won't have really paid anybody for three, four years. So yeah, I know that money doesn't, you know, money from 2018 doesn't carry over to 2020 directly, but yeah, they should have enough saved up to where they can, you know, make a splash and absorb it. And then like, as guys, uh, you know, go through the ARB system and peel off the payroll, you know, 
should be able to keep a rolling payroll, you know, that's, that is nine figures pretty easily should this rebuild take. All right. So that's the Michael Kopech news. And it's obviously not well. And please stick with us through the 2019 season. We will stick it out with you guys as well. Uh, <laughs> you never know. Maybe, maybe some magic can happen and every single player on the White Sox hits their 1% projectable outcome and the White Sox shocked the world. Uh, but right now, I, Jim, I think you and I are on the same page that 2019 could be ugly. Mm-hmm. Now, recapping as far as what happened this past weekend series, speaking of ugly, uh, the White Sox got swept by the Angels and they now dropped to 56 and 87 in the standings. Two big notes from this series. Well, three. One, Mike Trout is good. Duh. Uh, he's, he, he really tormented White Sox pitching outside of Carlos Rodon. The fact, the game, the second game of the series on Saturday where he went five for five with five runs batted in and two home runs. Just, just such an amazing performance by the game's best player. And it was definitely on display. And Shohei Otani, man, he's got so much potential offensively. Uh, we talked about on Sox Machine Live, I'm even more convinced that the Angels should just have him in right field because he can be very effective for them offensively. But the two key points for the White Sox, one good, one bad. Uh, the good is Ronaldo Lopez. He pitched really well on Sunday, Jim. Uh, six scoreless innings, only allowed two hits, walked three, and racked up 10 strikeouts, a double-digit strikeout performance by a White Sox starting pitcher. In his last three starts, Jim, Lopez has thrown 20 innings, only allowed 11 hits, two earned runs, walking five, and striking out 22. So he's definitely bounced back. I want to see more off-speed stuff from him. Is that the secret to his recent success, or is it something else? No, it's been the changeup, and it was amazing how many changeups he threw. He, I, I think when you're a pitcher, first time through, you try to maybe show a guy two pitches and then expanded to a third pitch the second time through the fastball and changeup did the heavy lifting the first time through set it up for a slider and he didn't throw a slider he kept throwing changeups and he kept throwing you know kept doubling up um you know throwing them against righties you know mixing it up uh in in ways that you wouldn't expect a righty with a suspect changeup to throw and it worked he was throwing with confidence um you know had a couple stretches where it was getting away from him you know throwing high and arm side missing away but at least there were misses they weren't hanging in the zone uh, when he got them over the plate, they were down and uh, in often unhittable spots. They weren't looking for it. And so that, I think, is the third pitch that, you know, he's been missing. And I, I think last year when he was successful, it was a second pitch and, and not a bad second pitch. So uh, the changeup has been the weakest part of his game for most of the season. And if he's somehow managed to figure that out at the end of this one, then, you know, it's not a lost September. The bad part of this weekend was Carlos Rodon. Rodon has struggled in his last three starts, again, it has been against the Yankees and the Red Sox. Those teams are going to make any starting pitcher look bad, uh, but he was not sharp against the Angels. And in his last three starts, Jim, Carlos Rodon has thrown 18 innings, allowed 14 hits, 10 earned runs, 11 walks to just 10 strikeouts. What's been different for Carlos Rodon in his last three starts, Jim, from his hot streak that he had over eight starts? Well, some of it's regression because, I mean, he wasn't striking guys out. Uh, you know, he was relying on soft contact and pitching around walks. And, you know, he had these bouts of wildness and didn't pay for it. I think it was the Red Sox. No, I think it was the, I think it was the Yankees series. Um, you know, I'm, I'm trying to think of my postgame quotes where the Yankees said, like, he was effective because he was wild. Um, you know, and, and missed where, you know, <laughs> kind of like reminded me of their quotes, kind of reminded me of facing the hard-throwing Little League pitcher, didn't know where he was going. You're more afraid of him than a guy who could throw strikes just because, you know, didn't know where the ball was going. And I think the he was so wild around the zone and just off the plate that it threw him off his game. And so perhaps teams are scouting him a bit better um, and making him come to the zone a bit more and he's not doing it could be just, you know, a bad start. <laughs> and I think, uh, you know, he, he definitely had an awful one, uh, especially in terms of strikes thrown and uh, he used a colorful word to describe it himself, but yeah, I think he was pitching a bit over his head based on the lack of strikeouts he was getting. And, you know, part of it, I think is just, uh, you know, maybe it's the end of the year and, you know, having, you know, I guess in, in some cases he sh should have a fresh arm, but given the injuries he's had, maybe, you know, this 
uh, stretch of uninterrupted pitching just means he's wearing down a bit too, or maybe it's the kind of September ennui of uh, <laughs> your team not playing that well and just waiting for the season to end could be all of that kind of factoring in uh, and, and just resulting in some uninspiring starts. But uh, he's one guy I hope that's, you know, based on, uh, you know, some of it's been regression, some of it was just, you know, not executing whatsoever. And I think I'd like to see that improve his next time out, even if, you know, maybe the strikeouts aren't there and he has a more ordinary line. The White Sox have 19 games left, but offensively, uh, the White Sox look like they're running out of gas. I mean, it's a long season, and it's been a very long 2018 (laughs) for the Chicago White Sox. Yeah, and they're short on talent, too. Uh, They are short on talent. When Abreu's not there, when Avi's banged up, you know, they have Cordell playing, and Cordell really hasn't stood out in any way. Uh, It's just, uh, yeah, it's it's a short lineup. We'll talk about Jose Breu in a moment as we preview the upcoming series against the Kansas City Royals. So after their 10-game homestand, where the White Sox went 3-7 and against Boston, Detroit, and Anaheim, uh, a bit disappointing as far as that homestand, especially after starting 2-2 two and two against the Boston Red Sox. The White Sox now have an 11-day road trip where they'll play 9 games, 3 against Kansas City, 3 against Baltimore, and 3 against Cleveland. Obviously, the games that they will be having at Kansas City and Baltimore do have 2019 Major League Baseball draft implications on where the White Sox could possibly be selecting. Right now, it looks like they're going to be the fourth overall. They have a chance to go as high as the third overall. And your pitching probables for this series against the Kansas City Royals. Monday at 7.15 p.m. Central Time, it is Lucas Giolito against Jacob Junis. On Tuesday, it's to be announced for both teams. This was supposed to be the spot for Michael Kopech. On Wednesday, it will be Carlos Rodon against Brad Keller. And Jim, we touched on Jose Abreu. Let's talk about Jose Abreu. We didn't get a chance to see him play in this last homestand. And he said that he was available but the White Sox are being cautious with him. Will we see Abreu in this series against the Royals? I don't know. I mean, Abreu always wants to be in the lineup, and I wouldn't necessarily take his word for it. The only, uh, the the only first or I guess secondhand case I know of testicular torsion. Uh, one of my buddies in high school had it, and he was basically out for the summer, <laughs> just with a, uh, you know, kind of. Re- and he's not a. My my friend wasn't a world class athlete. Didn't have uh, you know access to trainers and everything like that. So you know he can't really compare, uh, like recovery times and and everything like that. But still, just it struck me as like this weekend seemed a little bit early. And I know the White Sox were talking about mid September, and I don't think it qualifies as mid September yet. It's still in the first third of the month. So uh, you know this series, if we missed that, it wouldn't surprise me. And. Uh, yeah, just it seems like when it comes to that kind of surgery, it's you know similar to hernia, in which you know kind of uh, strenuous movements and, and lifting and such isn't advised, and uh, <laughs> given the uh, amount of uh, torque and twisting and stretching, especially for a first baseman, although he might be DHing to, to come back, uh, just strikes me as a bad idea. Is it important for him to play in any more games in 2018? Uh, you know, maybe for arbitration, but. <laughs> Uh, when it comes to, you know, I, I think his bounce back, his rebound, uh, the way he is compiling, you know, homers and RBIs and the power came back and, you know, the batting eye returned, I think he proved that he was back. So I don't think he needs to end on a strong note. You know, maybe if he was in the middle of a slump, you know, that, that kind of big malaise he had and, and that's when, you know, this injury hits, you know, perhaps maybe he'd want to come back from that. But I don't think he has anything to prove for the year. But I, I think he's just somebody who hates being out, um, you know, thinks he needs to be earning his money by being in the lineup. And so, uh, you know, he wants to be in there. But I don't think, uh, you know, whether he comes back and has a couple of good weeks, it really doesn't change anything materially. Well, it'll be interesting to see what Matt Davidson can do in Kansas City. It'd be nice that if he had some big games, as that's been pretty much the theme for him. In 2018, I don't think the White Sox are going to catch the Royals. Sorry for those that want the White Sox to have the highest draft pick possible in the 2019 Major League Baseball draft. Uh, But again, this upcoming week, it is against the Royals and the Orioles. So hopefully the White Sox, in my opinion, can win at least four out of these upcoming six games against the two worst teams in all of Major League Baseball. And it would be great to see Jose Abreu because it's just fun to watch Jose Abreu but Jim, I, I do worry just for his sake. There's nothing to be gained from these last 19 games. 
if he wanted to call it safe and be like, you know, I'm just done for the rest of the year, I'm cool with that. And you can have Matt Davidson play first base or Nicky Delmonico play first base the rest of the season and get more run, more give those guys more rope <laughs> uh, yeah. for the for the remaining of uh, make, 2018. Make the, evalu- make the evaluation very thorough. <laughs> very thorough. Oh, well. Jim and I will reconvene later in the show as we answer your guys' questions in P.O. Sox. But coming up next, Jim will be recapping the action for the White Sox minor league affiliates. Before Jim gives the minor league report, a quick word from our sponsor, SeatGeek. Football is back and SeatGeek is the smartest, easiest way to get tickets to every game all season long. Whether you're searching for a last minute deal, plan a night with friends, or need to find the perfect gift, SeatGeek helps you find the best seats at the best prices fully guaranteed there's nothing quite like being there in person and SeatGeek will get you closer to the action for a great value SeatGeek is designed to make your ticket buying experience easier than ever by searching multiple ticket sites and grading every ticket based on value SeatGeek helps you immediately identify the best seats that fit your budget plus every purchase is fully guaranteed so you can shop for tickets on SeatGeek with confidence and it doesn't end with sports SeatGeek has plenty of tickets to concerts comedy and theater too i use SeatGeek all of the time to get tickets for white Sox games and if you're looking for tickets for the remaining home games for the chicago white Sox, the next time they come home it's against the chicago cubs that's always a hot ticket in town and if you're interested go to seatgeek.com and use our promo code socks machine that's promo code socks machine to save 20 dollars off your first purchase on seatgeek.com or download the seatgeek app on your smartphone SeatGeek. Life's an event. We've got the tickets. Welcome to the Meyer League Report, which is drawing to a close. Charlotte and Birmingham seasons ended last Monday, and both Winston-Salem and Kannapolis saw their seasons come crashing to a halt on Friday, with both teams getting swept out of their respective series. The Dash dropped all three games to Bowie's Creek, and Kannapolis' season ended with a no-hitter by the Lakewood Blue Claws. Still, they were highly successful seasons, And then there's Great Falls, which advanced to the Pioneer League Championship Series by winning both of its games against Billings. The Voyagers will face Grand Junction in the best-of-three championship round starting Tuesday. These extra games are good times for Amado Nunez, Bryce Bush, and Gunnar Troutwine, and Davis Martin had his best outing of the year with four scoreless innings. The Voyagers will face Grand Junction in the best-of-three championship round starting Tuesday. Minor league winning percentages can be often misleading, and Kannapolis might be indicative of that, what with its highly collegiate pitching staff. But the hope is that the overall winning percentage and this cluster of success can travel upwards through the system. In terms of the rebuild, this situation is certainly better than the inverse, where the White Sox have some strong performances up top, but little supporting it. That's it for the Meyer League Report. Now I'll answer your questions in P.O. Sox. You've stuffed our mailbox all week with questions from your tweets and Facebook posts. Now to cure your curiosity on the White Sox, here is P.O. Sox. Thanks, Rob. And yes, this is our favorite part of the show, where you, the fans and listeners, get to ask the questions. It's P.O. Socks. Resubmitted your questions to us via Twitter, tweeting them to at Socks Machine, posting your questions on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash Socks Machine, or helping support the podcast and the website by signing up to become a friend of the podcast at patreon.com slash Socks Machine. And Jim rejoins me to answer your guys' questions. And Jim, our first question comes from JT. And JT is asking, this week season was pretty much the darkest timeline. Any bright spots to give us hope other than the obvious Elo Jimenez and Dylan Cease performances? Well, I think, you know, looking at last year to this year, if you're looking for one bright spot um, besides those two, I think just the outfield depth would be a major victory for the farm system. I mean, entering the year, Basabe was a big question mark. Rutherford was a big question mark. Luis Roberts, uh, a big question mark. And Basabe looks good. Uh, you know, Rutherford has improved. I'm still, I would still put Basabe ahead of Rutherford. I, I know that some lists don't agree with that. I just think that, you know, showing the, the breadth of his skills in double A, the way that he has, even if he hasn't quite, you know, put it all together yet, uh, still at a very good trajectory age-wise, talent-wise. I, I like what he's doing. Rutherford was scary last year based on how little power he hit for in Winston-Salem, and that's kind of coming around, so that's good. Then you have Luis Gonzalez, too, um, who I liked more than the, the, the first day of the draft uh, that year. You know, I thought he might be the most productive player out of that draft when 
all said and done. And so far, he's put it all together. I know he's been kind of beating up on lower levels because of the outfield logjam, but uh, I like what he's doing, and they have some guys with up-the-middle skills. He also have some, you know, like a guy like Alex Call, who's interesting. You know, not quite, I think, at the level of those other guys, but, you know, hanging around, you know, being somebody uh, of, of intrigue. So based on the way it looked last year, and, you know, you mentioned Call, or I mentioned Call, uh, you know, thinking about him, uh, he's another guy. He missed all the last season with a rib, uh, rib strain, and you know he was kind of a non-factor. So there are a lot more outfielders than there were last year. And Luis Robert, even though he missed a lot of time with injury, he's still shown the skills uh, at various points. The power isn't quite there, but the the hit tool's been okay. The speed's there. The defense is there. So uh, he's got something to build on for next year. And so that's the one area I'd point to and say hey, this is actually substantially better. Our next question comes from Corey, and Corey's asking, does the Michael Kopech injury change any free agency plans? Maybe sign a starter like the Cubs and John Lester, if we're being optimistic. I can see it maybe next year, I think. Uh, with this season uh, and going into 2019, still doesn't seem like it's the right time, especially with pitchers. When you're signing a free agent pitcher, you really want to make the most of the first year that they sign. You know, first couple of years, I would say it's like a four or five year deal. And then you just hope that they don't give up too much value on the back end. I think this team isn't going anywhere. So I think it'd be too early for a pitcher signing at this point. But I can see, you know, if you're looking at a pitching staff, they don't feel like quite have a horse out of it. They don't want to put too much on Kopex plates. Uh, they're not going anywhere with Rodon in terms of extension. And so he'll be, you know, seven years and, and done. Uh, with the White Sox and, or at least, you know, exploring other options and maybe coming back. I can see them, you know, after the 2019 season into 2020, uh, you know, potentially looking at guys who might, uh, you know, provide that veteran impact and also innings. And when you look at that free agent class right now, it's pretty stacked. That's the sale one, uh, Quintana free agent, Madison Bumgarner, Michael Waka, Justin Verlander, Rick Porcello, Garrett Cole, you know, a lot of arms available, and, you know, a lot of pitchers who even if, you know, like say a guy like Verlander, I think will be 37 at the time. Um, you know, if, if you're looking for somebody who can provide innings and if he's a guy who you know might not be peak Verlander, but is having a very nice decline, you know, theoretically, he could fit that mold of somebody who gives innings and doesn't really kill the payroll at all. And, you know, with even if they want to go say somebody like more like Garrett Cole or even, you know, I have a hard time imagining it, but the return of Chris Sale and they have to go five, six years, you know, if Rodon is coming off the payroll and, you know, maybe they lock up one of their other young pitchers and, uh, you know, have some other guys coming in, you know, maybe they can't afford the big pitcher contract. So there, I think there are ways after 2019 to add a pitcher if they need one. But I think this right now is a bit premature. Yeah, it kind of circles back in our conversation when we talked about Michael Kopech's injury before that. I agree with you, Jim. I think the free agent spending will come after the 2019 season. Our next question comes from at not Don, at not Dan Hayes. And not Dan Hayes is asking you, Jim, do you think Steve Stone owns Hawk's book? Did Hawk give him a signed copy that Stone later gave away? Did Steve Stone get one himself to be polite? Did he read it? I think he might have received one. You know, I imagine that there could be a lot of copies around and, you know, maybe given to members of the White Sox organization. And, yeah, I imagine he received one. And I, I'm guessing he read it or at least skimmed it for mentions of his name, if nothing else. <laughs> I could see him starting there and, you know, maybe skimming over the golf chapters. And But but I think, you know, with all the stuff going on with Hawk, you know, the Hawk Day, the the various TV tributes and such, um, and, and also the Hawk documentary, which... Uh, uh, is I think coming out this week. Um, is yeah, it the 13th? 13th? Yeah. Um, I'm not sure if I'll be able to see that. Um, yeah, I'm not sure if they'll put it online or stream it or something like that, but you'll have to give the report, uh, if I can't, um, he might be hawked out at this point. <laughs> so I don't know if he'd, uh, you know, maybe, yeah, it, it's been pleasant. And I, I think this, this broadcast, uh, um, of Sunday's game was a very nice one, you know, relative, Relatively speaking, you know, they didn't harp too much on, you know, the talking points. I guess Michael Kopech gave him some new things to talk about. And, you know, Stone had nice things to say about the Hawk Day and documentary and such. So, you know, if there is any kind of bitterness, you know, they've, they've done a nice job of masking it. Um, but I think at this point, I can see if Stone, you're know, receiving the book, you know, maybe having something written in it. But 
I don't see him like being totally engrossed by it. Was this Sunday the last broadcast for those two together? I'm not sure, because uh, I know he's doing all three games of the Cubs series. Right, but I thought it was AJ Przinsky doing... Is AJ doing all three, or is he just doing that last one on Sunday? I, I didn't think it was all three. Maybe it is, but I, you know, given that he's got Fox obligations, I wouldn't expect it to be all three. Okay, that's a good point. Hmm. Because there was just something I was thinking back in my mind. Like, well, is this the last time that these two are broadcasting together? But maybe it's not. Maybe it'll be that Saturday broadcast. Yeah, I think Stone. White Sox. I think Stone has enough. um, He's diplomatic enough where I think he would, you know, have something to say about Hawk and his career, even even if he has to, uh, you know, even if it isn't maybe the most sincere. um, You know, should there still be you know lingering tensions or, um, you know just never meshing lack of chemistry, whatever, what have you, I think he would say something. So if this were the last one, I think he would have made a point to acknowledge, you know, the finality of it. Right. That's a good point. Yeah. Steve Stone's a professional. So I know he participated in the documentary. So I, I think, yeah, the more we talk about this, it wasn't the last one. There will be one during the Cubs series where there will be the last broadcast between Hawk and Stone. And then be Jason Benetti, mostly full-time moving forward. But yes, Jim, I will watch the Hawk documentary on September 13th, and I will report back to you. Season ticket holders got an opportunity to watch the documentary at a movie theater, and many have said that it's good. So It does seem like there's new stuff. I will stuff. report back. Yeah, that there is a deeper yeah. dive into his childhood, his upbringing. There's you know more on-site stuff, so it's not just him telling stories like the MLB Network documentary. Uh, you know, some stories you've heard, some stories he's written about. Seems like it's new when they've actually done reporting and and finding the other side of people on Hawk relationships to talk about it more openly and not just give a canned message. So, I have hopes for it. Thank you guys so much for your questions this week. It's that will conclude this edition of P.O. Socks. Again, if you have a question or topic that you'd like us to tackle on the show, follow us on Twitter. We're at Socks Machine. Like our Facebook page at facebook.com slash Socks Machine. Or also help support us on the podcast or on SocksMachine.com by signing up to become a friend of the podcast at Patreon.com slash SocksMachine, where our listeners and subscribers there on Patreon get an opportunity to ask questions to our guests and also get an opportunity to ask additional P.O. Socks questions that they only hear on an ad-free version of the show. So if that's of interest to you, go to Patreon.com slash SocksMachine to sign up today and that will do it for this edition of the socks machine podcast thank you guys so much for listening if you just discovered the show you can subscribe in a variety of ways one is through itunes another spotify google podcasts and audioboom.com slash socks machine the socks machine podcast is a production of SoxMachine.com, your home for all things chicago white Sox baseball alongside jim margulis i'm josh nelson thanks for listening When you rely on the internet for everything, you need speed that can handle anything. And now, Xfinity delivers Wi-Fi speed faster than a gig. Check out our amazing offers on internet and learn about the latest breakthrough from Xfinity. Wi-Fi speed faster than a gig. That's more than enough speed to power all your devices and then some. Go online, call 1-800-XFINITY or visit a store today to learn more. Restrictions apply. Gig Wi-Fi requires gig speed and compatible X-Fi gateway. Actual speeds vary and not guaranteed. Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from Metrics second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement.